This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Hello and welcome to Trumpet Hour. I appreciate you listening in today. I'm Joel Hilliker. Something extraordinary has been happening lately. A trend in our educational system is being exposed. And that is teachers feeding our children, even our youngest children, gender propaganda. We'll talk about this as part of a broader trend of the evil in modern society being exposed and why God is ensuring that this happens. In our second segment, we'll look at an exposure that is taking place in German politics. Revelations have emerged of how the German government lied to its people. It told them they were helping out Ukraine in its war against Russia, but they were totally lying about it. Our editor-in-chief, Gerald Flurry has been saying for years that there has been a secret deal between Germany and Russia, and now it's all the more clear that this is reality and that German politicians wanted to keep it secret. We'll hear a report from trumpet writer Richard Palmer about this. Then we'll talk about America's biggest economic problem. Obviously, inflation is a major issue right now, but we'll hear a report from trumpet writer Andrew Miller explaining why there's an even bigger economic crisis facing this country. And finally, I will show you how biblical prophecy can serve a wonderful purpose a practical purpose in your life as a prod to clean yourself up and get right with God. Last month, Florida enacted House Bill 1557 to ban public school teachers, kindergarten through third grade, from teaching five to eight-year-old children about sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, why was this bill created? It's because reports had emerged of teachers and administrators designing and implementing curricula pushing sexually deviant, sexually explicit propaganda on young children. Not only that, not only were they teaching this, but they were not telling the parents. They were keeping it secret from parents. And Florida lawmakers said, well, we have to stop this. We can't let these people indoctrinate our children in this stuff, especially when so many parents do not want this. That's all this bill was intending to do. When we're talking about kindergarten through third grade, let's focus on reading, writing, math. Let's keep sex education out of the classroom for these young children, especially sex education about these radical ideas, gender fluidity, transgenderism. Can't we all agree we should be able to send our children to kindergarten without them hearing about transgenderism? That's all this bill was about. I think it would be more appropriate to argue that public schools should never broach those subjects. Why are taxpayer-funded schools ever getting into those kinds of subjects? It's a really important question, a very legitimate question, and this bill didn't even really touch that. It only restricted its purview to K through third grade. But the truth about the trash being taught in our schools had come to light, and lawmakers in one state took what I would call a modest step to address that. And what happened? 
Well, not only did extreme radical leftists pitch a major fit and say that this bill was going to endanger the lives of children somehow, but mainstream media outlets, ABC, CBS, they dubbed this the Don't Say Gay Bill, and they acted like it was outlawing the word gay, and they talked about this bill like it was it was completely extreme and dangerous that it was marginalizing people. Disney, the supposedly family-friendly media juggernaut, they came out saying that they would do everything possible to defeat this toxic bill. And then video emerged of these Disney executives bragging about how they were going to put LGBTQ messages and main characters into their content. So this Florida bill brought out all these crazy people, further exposing the evil that was extant here. The reaction to the bill, to what most Americans would consider the totally non-controversial point that we shouldn't indoctrinate five-year-olds with transgender propaganda, the reaction exposed just how far off the rails some very influential people in society have gone. We are living in a time of exposure. So much of the evil in this world is being exposed, particularly in the last two years since the COVID pandemic and since America's 2020 presidential election. The fraud, the falseness of the world we live in is being brought into the light for all to see. You see this in arena after arena, the medical industry, the pharmaceutical companies, big government, our political class, the justice system, the intelligence agencies, the tech companies, the news media, the entertainment industry, our economic system, our food production, our transportation infrastructure, our technology dependence, so many areas of modern life, all these foundational blocks upon which modern society is built, these things that people have put so much faith in are all being exposed as frauds. This is quite extraordinary, and it is unmistakable, this trend of exposure. And this withering light of exposure has increasingly turned on our educational system. I I imagine a lot of this is because you have so many children at home taking classes on Zoom, and so exactly what's going on in our classrooms has come to the attention of a lot of parents, and they are horrified. The Twitter account Libs of TikTok has received prominent national attention lately from Tucker Carlson and other conservative media outlets, and this account All they do is replay social media posts and clips of radical leftists talking. Now, this is a a montage of teachers on TikTok explaining to their social media followers what they're teaching their students. 
Today, my student pulled me aside to ask me if I was trans. I said yes, and almost immediately they said, so when I grow up, I can actually be a boy. And honestly, I'm just proud they could say it out loud because that really takes a lot. By not including language like this in the classroom, it's making people who are non-binary or maybe are non-binary and they don't know feel unsafe. This has been my first year in preschool with a class of my own. We've been talking about gender and skin color and consent and empathy and our bodies and autonomy. So today at the lunch table, when the topic of gender and genitals came up, one of our students plainly looked up and said, well, I'm a girl today, but I know that teacher Ko isn't. No, they're Enby. I never tell parents, period. On their survey at the beginning of the year when it asked for preferred name and pronouns, it also asked for what you want me to refer to you as when I call home and what pronouns to use. So then I just make sure when I'm calling home, I use what they prefer when I call home. Even if someone told me I couldn't do that and I couldn't call them whatever they want or the pronouns they want without parent permission, I would still do it. I am an out teacher at my school, out as both bisexual and trans, and a lot of other teachers on TikTok were wondering how I managed coming out to my students. Well, I'm a non-binary preschool teacher, and my kids know I'm non-binary. Um, they know I'm not a girl or a boy. I use they, them pronouns in the classroom. So I'm not allowed to be out as trans non-binary at school. The most controversial way I teach my kids consent is that they all choose their own gender identity because it's every person's right to be who they are. It's that simple. I'm playing make-believe with the kids that I work with and the youngest, the two-year-old, wants me to be the dad and she would like to be the mom. I asked her, hey, is it all right if I be the non-binary parent? Hey, I'm a queer teacher. Kids as young as three and four are actually aware of their gender identity even if they don't have the language for it. This is LGBTQ propaganda aimed at the youngest of our children. It's, it's uh, sickening to, to see them uh, and remarkable to see them speaking so openly about this. These people are reaching into the lives of these children to shape their thinking so they can reshape society. A lot of people have compared what they're doing to grooming. And in some cases, that's exactly what it is. This is a tool used by child abusers, basically preparing their victims to agree to being victimized. These, these children are being groomed to think that it's normal for adults to talk to them about sex and to even talk about their own sexual desires and practices. It's, it's normalizing even very deviant behavior. And of course, when you're talking about five, six, seven, eight-year-old children, they are very impressionable, very suggestible, and they can be convinced of virtually anything. Now, really, what we're talking about here, this type of thing has been going on for some years now. Uh, and a, a great deal of it was happening in secret. And in many cases, these schools will not tell parents. They specifically instruct children not to tell their parents. They have policies in place to enable children to experiment with gender within the school environment and then ensure that parents are deliberately kept in the dark about it. So this is a war over who has the right to teach children. There are a lot of people, and a lot of them in very influential positions in education and in the government, who believe that parents have no right to teach their own children 
about these things, unless it's absolutely according to this bizarre orthodoxy, a parent has no right to subvert this or to undercut what they're saying. They are such strong believers in their cause. They're so convinced they are absolutely right and that anyone who gainsays them is evil that they have no problem lying or doing whatever it takes to get these children over to their cause. If you have children in the public school system, you'd better know what's being taught in your child's school. And you may have to do some real digging to find out because it's not necessarily going to be the easiest thing to discover. These people do not believe in parental rights. Let me give you a stunning example of how brazen they have gotten. This is a song, just excerpts of a song posted to YouTube last summer by the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. It's a message to parents who might have a problem with their children being fed this kind of propaganda. But you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. You can keep them from disco. Warn about San Francisco. Make him wear pleated pants, we don't care. We'll convert your children. We'll make them tolerant and fair. We'll convert your children. Someone's gotta teach them not to hate. They think that parents who are horrified by what is happening is funny. And they think, well, you can't do anything to stop us. When you look at what is happening in society today, you can see why they believe this way. Homosexuality, this isn't even controversial anymore. The battleground has shifted dramatically from even just a few years ago. Society has gone from tolerating homosexuality to embracing same-sex marriage to tolerating transgenderism to allowing high school students to choose which bathroom they go into to teaching elementary school kids that your genitalia have nothing to do with what gender you are to having kindergartners choose new personal pronouns each day at school and keeping parents in the dark about it. This is what they're doing. And these efforts are working. I mean, what those men were singing about in that, uh, in that song, it's true. 
And the numbers of people identifying as LGBT is skyrocketing, especially among youth. Among people in their 20s, the number is now around one in six people. And if things keep going in, in this direction, that is just the start. And somehow, there are a whole lot of people in society and the media celebrating this as a success. One in six people. This is, this is wonderful. Do they even realize the implications of these numbers? Do the people who say, well, we really need to tolerate, we really need to accept these things, even if they, they don't personally think that way, but we need to tolerate it, do they realize how dramatically and radically this is reshaping society and what we are doing to our young people. You look at the videos of these people pushing these ideas, and these are bizarre people. Weird, multicolored hair, tattoos, piercing, weird makeup, emotionally unstable, bizarrely immature, totally self-absorbed people. And you might say, well, that's only a very few. It's just a, a small representation of, of the population. But that is the end result of embracing this kind of thinking. These are the early adopters. These are the, the people who are in the vanguard of this movement and there are more and more and more of them, and they're growing more and more outlandish and extreme. Really, you look at these people, and this is the direction society is going. This is the direction we are allowing society to go. These are the people we are entrusting our children to. There, there are those, you know, many who I'm sure work in high offices, administrators and uh, government officials who dress nicely in suits. They have uh, they're clean cut and so on, but they're pushing exactly this type of thing to enable people who who act this way, who think this way, greater and greater influence o- over our children. These people are promoting radical, revolutionary thinking. And society is going along with it so rapidly, so hastily. We're not even considering all of the ramifications. These people want to reduce who you are to your sexuality. They want to make sex the most important form of personal identity, of personal achievement. They want to exalt bizarre self-expression into the highest virtue. They want to turn our whole society into a place where celebrating diversity in its most outlandish forms is virtually the greatest thing you can accomplish. What does the world they want to create really look like? It's almost impossible to to say. Glenn Beck did a program about this subject recently called Project Groomer. You can find it at this point. You can find it on YouTube. But he showed this clip from a man named Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, He's an Israeli intellectual and futurist. He's also repeatedly been a speaker at the very influential World Economic Forum conference in Davos, Switzerland. This is uh, the, the group that's made up of the globalists that are working to shape our world. Here's what Mr. Harari said. Looking to the future, and it also links to, to, the, to the other question, I'm not sure there'll sp- still be genders uh, in 50 or 100 or 150 years. 
with this new ability to re-engineer, to create bodies and brains and minds. If we allow these educators to have their way, then this man is exactly right. We're raising a generation of people who will be completely clueless about male, female, husband, wife, marriage, family, people who have no idea about right and proper use of sex and virtue and chastity and commitment. They'll have no idea how to really to live and to relate to other people properly. All sense of morality, responsibility, duty, purpose, the sense of these things that really has provided structure and stability and civilization for all of human history, that will have been replaced by something entirely different. And men like this one that we just heard, they think this is going to make this a better world. They have enormous confidence in their ideas, tremendous faith in the correctness of their perspective so much so that they're willing to implement it even against your wishes, even if you strongly disagree with them, even if the majority of people are horrified by what they're doing. They're so sure that they're right and you're wrong. Really, the way they operate shows you exactly how the devil thinks. They are forcing people to obey their will. You don't agree with them, too bad. They're going to teach your kindergartner and they won't even tell you. And if you push back, then they will insult you, they'll shout at you, they'll bully you online, they'll threaten you. But the truth is coming out. It is increasingly coming out. All this sewage is being exposed and there is a spiritual reason for this. What's happening here brings to mind the many scriptures that promise that this will happen. God wants to expose evil so we can recognize it for what it is. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14 says, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Luke 12 and verse 2, there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. And that exposure is already beginning. We're seeing it around us. And God is making sure that we can see just how corrupt this world is. He wants you to see it so you can make an informed choice. You want to put your faith in this world? You want to put your trust in the educators and the politicians and the decision makers in this world? You think they're going to be able to get all of this sorted out? Even the ones who are on the conservative side of the spectrum, you think they're going to be able to reverse this trend? Do you want to trust them? Or do you want to trust God? What about trusting his definition of right and wrong? His definition of truth and lies? His definition of male and female? What about trying to do things his way instead of trying to find truth within deceitful human hearts. God really is making it increasingly plain. All the secret things are coming out. All those covered things are being revealed. All those hidden things are being made known so that we can choose. And God challenges us. 
in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, and I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. This is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. What is happening in Germany? The nation's new chancellor is facing growing criticism for his response to Russia's war in Ukraine and scandalous new revelations of deceit on the part of his government make this all the more problematic, as we will now hear in this report from Richard Palmer. Last week, Germany's Bild newspaper caught the German government lying about arms exports to Ukraine. The government claimed to be trying to help Ukraine get the weapons it needed from German arms companies. It put together a list from German arm manufacturers of what equipment they could quickly pass on to Ukraine, and then it gave that list to Ukraine and said, pick whatever you want, up to a billion euros, or just under 1.1 billion US dollars. Sounded very generous. It was meant to. It was also fake. The list the German government initially received from its arms industry showed they had plenty of the heavy weapons Ukraine is desperate for, all ready to hand over. But when the list was passed on to the Ukrainians, those weapons weren't on it. The government had quietly trimmed the list of available equipment from 48 pages down to 24, and they hadn't told anyone what they were doing. Ukraine struggled to find what of much of what it needed on that final list. It only had three of the 15 types of weapons Ukraine had requested. Ukraine only ended up spending about 300 million euros. German Chancellor Olaf Schultz claimed he was doing all he could. He blamed the arms industry for not having the necessary equipment available. And he was lying. The Spectator wrote that Olaf Schulz has been caught red-handed misrepresenting facts about weapons deliveries to Ukraine. Behind the scenes, he's busy frustrating efforts to help the country while pretending to be outraged about Vladimir Putin's aggression. It's a perfect example of Germany's approach to this crisis, doing everything it can to appear to be helping Ukraine while behind the scenes stymieing Ukraine and helping Russia. Over the weekend, The Telegraph reported that Germany and France have sold Russia $250 million in weapons, weapons that are now being used against the Ukrainians. Incidentally, they claimed it was an exclusive, but the Trumpet wrote on the same story a fortnight ago. Germany has blocked the European Union from embargoing Russian energy. It has promised weapons to Ukraine only for bureaucracy and paperwork to prevent them from arriving. It claims to support financial sanctions against Russia while ensuring that most of Russia's banking system is unaffected by them. Germany's support for Ukraine is a sham. A lot of Europe wants Germany to protect Ukraine. The German people largely want Germany to protect Ukraine. But Germany is just putting on a show and doing nothing. News analysts are struggling to understand it. Euro Intelligence wrote that Schultz's duplicity on weapons deliveries is astonishing especially considering that he's now at risk of losing his majority. They struggle to understand what he's doing here, speculating that the German Chancellor Schultz may have been blackmailed by Vladimir Putin. Well, that could be true, but it's not the main reason for Germany's behavior here. Once again, Bible prophecy provides the missing pieces that we need to understand. 
In 2008, Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry wrote, I believe that Germany's leaders may have already agreed to a deal with Russia, a modern Hitler-Stalin pact where Germany and Russia divide countries and assets between themselves. This agreement would allow each to turn its sights on other targets. Any such deal that may have been struck between Germany and Russia is a precursor to war. Bible prophecy reveals the simmering discontent within Germany at this United States-led world order. It shows us that the Nazi spirit that dominating the country during World War II did not die, it merely went underground. And now that spirit is coming back. That is why so many of the business and political elites have worked so hard to bring Germany into an alliance with Russia. In 2018, Ms. Laurie wrote, many elite Germans feel their nation has now gotten all it can from the US and are ready to move on. Some powerful Germans are thinking more and more about the Holy Roman Empire and they want modern Germany to assume more power of its own in the spirit of that empire. They want to establish Europe as a mighty German-led superpower. As tensions rose in the run-up to Mr. Putin's full-scale invasion, Mr. Flurry said the crisis was exposing Germany's deals with Russia. Now, then after Russia invaded, Germany seemed to abruptly change course, cancelling some of those deals. But now Germany's dealings with Russia have been exposed more clearly than ever. This invasion is revealing Germany's deals with Russia. And now, more than ever, you need the intelligence and forecasting that only the Bible can provide. Mr. Flurry's article, Why Germany Just Betrayed America, explains the revealed truth behind Germany's perplexing behavior here. Thank you very much for that, Richard. This really is a fascinating development. Gerald Flurry has been talking about this secret Russia-Germany deal for years, and the Ukraine war is really giving us evidence of this having been made. It's really overwhelming what uh, is emerging here, so it's coming out into the open. Uh, but the response from Germans and really practically all of Europe has been extremely negative. They're saying that this shows weakness, on the part of German leaders, uh, certainly Schultz has gotten a, a tremendous amount of criticism. They say it undermines Germany's leadership within Europe. It looks like this could be Schultz's undoing, really. It could precipitate a, a hasty change in German politics. In your view, what does this mean for this relationship or this deal between Russia and Germany going forward. If you're looking at this through the lens of, of biblical prophecy, is that relationship going to be able to withstand the kind of criticism that we're seeing today? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. I mean, you look at even where we are right now with this deal, with this relationship, there's a huge amount of hypocrisy there or a huge amount of deceit there, I should say, that, you know, Russia is quite clearly trying, or Germany is quite clearly pretending to be an ally and a friend of Ukraine. And the problem from Germany's point of view, or from Schultz's point of view, is that that pretense has failed, that their kind of double dealing has been exposed. People have gotten in there and found out, oh, this guy's been lying to us. Mm -hmm. uh, so, okay, well, what happens now? Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. Do we see continued pretense? Uh, do we see something that drives that relationship down um, even even deeper? Uh, I mean, that's certainly possible. The Bible, well, history, first of all, shows us you, you've had 
deceitful deals between these two before. Uh, you know, you've had secret treaties between these two before. You had the Treaty of Rapello, for example, in the 1920s, where you had this public treaty. Okay, Germany, Russia, we're restoring diplomatic, or Soviet Union, we're restoring, dip, restoring diplomatic relations. But then secretly, the two also agreed, well, we're going to help Germany break the Treaty of Versailles, and they're going to do weapons testing and weapons training and things like that within Russia. It was all underground. It was all secret. Their decision to, uh, or their, their, the, the very famous Molotov-Ribbentrop Treaty, or really the, the Hitler-Stalin Pact, where they divided up Eastern Europe between them, uh, was secret. That was secret for much less time than that uh, agreements surrounding Rapello were but still something that, that was secret. So you, could you see some continued level of, of secrecy here, certainly? Uh, and then the Bible prophe prophecy even talks about there being a, a lot of deceit. It talks about a strong man, but it talks about a strong man coming in by flatteries. And the translation for for that is, uh, or the, the Hebrew word behind flatteries implies there's a certain lot of deception and there's a pretense. There's a kind of a public pretense and there's a hidden reality. So does seem like you could have this continue even while appearances on the surface might be something else. I also think uh, th what I thought that there were potential, you know, if, if Germany were to say fully renege on this deal, uh, you know, it's quite clearly Germany is on Russia's side. If there were to be substantive changes to that, you know, Russia didn't just sign this deal based on how much they trust Germany because they don't. They know Germany, they know people too well to just trust Germany. There are things that they could do to punish Germany. I think one thing that is very interesting is that throughout this whole time, throughout this whole Ukrainian invasion, the Balkans has been threatening to explode but hasn't. You've got an individual who is, who, who is over there in Bosnia who's leading the Serbian region of Bosnia who is very close to Vladimir Putin, who is in Russia's pocket, uh, who is basically threatening to split uh, Bosnia off or split the Serbian part of Bosnia off from the rest of Bosnia and cause all kinds of chaos in the Balkans. And he's been threatening to do that. And despite all of the, the kind of the tensions between Europe and Russia, he hasn't. Uh, he's not made a move there. So, you know, is he kind of one of the things that Russia's got on the table? Like, hey, well, you know, we've got some kind of a deal, some that kind of a deal involve involves Russia acquiescing to Germany's dominance of the Balkans. Um, but we want some quid pro quo here. And if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, well, we could make things very difficult for you in the Balkans. We haven't done that yet, but we could. Mm -hmm. So maybe there are actual, you know, I mentioned in the, in the report that people are speculating, well, maybe Schultz is being blackmailed or something like that. Right. Well, maybe Schultz isn't being blackmailed, but maybe there are you know things that, reprisals that Russia can inflict if Germany were to completely renege on any dealings they've done with Russia. Well, just thinking about all of that history and the fact that those deals have been secret, that uh, there have been interests of Germany's and in Russia's that they they wanted to pursue without public scrutiny away from the light of, uh, of international and even domestic uh, scrutiny because of the... Uh, I guess the underhanded nature of what they were doing, uh, and you could see. Uh, I mean, I, I we're, we're talking in this uh, trumpet hour about just how many things are being exposed in the world today. Just the the secret things are being revealed, uh, and they're being brought out. And I think God is doing this in a lot of ways because He wants us to be able to recognize just how evil this world really is. When you see 
German politicians coming out and making very strong public pronouncements about their support for Ukraine and under the table doing exactly the opposite to make sure that they're they're upholding their interests, uh, their their agreement with Russia. You get an idea of just how much duplicity there is in the world as it is constituted today. I want to talk about the the biblical prophecy of a coming German strongman. This man is, we talk about this prophecy quite a lot. He's on the scene somewhere, and I can't help but think that how he's watching what is happening, and he's taking notes, he's learning lessons about this. Schultz announces back in, was it the end of, uh, uh, was it in February that... uh, He's going to have a big military spending increase. Everyone's enthusiastic. Lawmakers, media, public, all on board with this. So to make Germany more powerful and aggressive, this is a winning political strategy. This has become evident. Um, But also, you know, he has to be looking at the public response and the European response to this Russia relationship and taking note and, and thinking, okay, well, Schultz has made some blunders here or this current government is making blunders i'm if i'm going to uh, be able to pursue this and maintain this relationship i'm going to have to be a lot more uh a, a lot more careful about the way that i constitute this if it's going to be successful i just wonder what the foreign policy and even domestic policy of this strongman looks like in light of everything that's taking place right now yeah, I think that's another interesting question. And I think you can see a lot of it probably by the weaknesses in Schultz, the things that he is doing that is making him unpopular. And I think you know, we've kind of focused a lot on his relationship with Russia, and, and that's part of it. But it's not the only part of it. I'm not even sure it's the biggest part of it. I think it's just the fact that people don't feel that there's somebody who really knows what they're doing that that is in command. I mean, like you said, back in February where he came out with his massive military rearmament program, people loved it. And I think they loved it because they they want security and they see that a big military program can help them be secure in, a, in an unsecure world. But I think they also loved it because it looked like decisive leadership. But then we've had no follow-up mm-hmm. from that. The, uh, I, I was reading an article from Spiegel a few weeks ago just talking about, and I think we talked about it on the show, you know, that he kind of, he, he manages like a bureaucrat. Um, and he will follow proper procedure, say, and he will talk things through with a lot of people for a very long time, but he's not very good at getting out there in front and making strong decisions. And it feels like that's what Germany and that's what all of Europe want right now is somebody who is really in charge, who gets up there and makes a big announcement and says, this is what we're doing, but then keeps following through with that and saying, well, this is what we've done. And okay, we're, th- we're several weeks down the line from that. These are the tangible results. These are the weapon systems that we've that we've put on order. And Schultz has done some of that follow through, but he's definitely not gotten up and say given a big speech about it. And it's led to all of these questions about, well, what is exactly this rearmaments program going to look like? And he's not really given any good answers to that. It's a decision maker. And you know, one of the things that we, we that, that comes up quite a bit in an international relations class I, I teach at the college is the, the difference that a strong leader makes in in national power. That you have somebody that can really take the different um, potential aspects of power and put them together and make them into a reality and decide, well, this is what we're doing or we're focusing in this area. It makes a massive difference. 
I mean, you see that in the United States where you, you kind of have the difference between a Joe Biden that doesn't really feel, well, that, that isn't in control, but then, and then certainly doesn't project an image of being in control uh, and knowing what he's doing to, to, to someone, someone more like President Trump. So you know, a, a lot of what Germans want, I think, is just a strong leader who is going to act decisively. And that's what the Bible talks about. The Bible calls him a king. Uh, the Bible talks about all of Europe getting getting kings in, in Revelation chapter 17. So we're going to have something that is not kind of a chairman of a committee, which is Olaf Schultz's style uh, of leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think if somebody, if they stand up to Germany's enemies strongly, even if it's not necessarily Russia in meaningful ways, but if they, they project strength in the Middle East, project strength in these other areas, then maybe they'd be willing to forgive some of this other aspect. But I think it's strength, security, decisiveness mm-hmm. um, are the big words of, of what they're looking for and what they're not getting from Schultz. Yeah. Well, that is uh, what they're going to get for sure. Uh, The prophecies of the Bible make that very clear. We've been talking with trumpet writer Richard Palmer about the uh, the criticism of the German government that we're seeing right now, Germans and Europeans looking for stronger leadership from the chancellor, from his government. Really extraordinary development that uh, that we're seeing unfold here. Richard wrote the uh, trumpet brief yesterday about this subject, and he was pointing to Gerald Flurry's article from uh, a little ways back, Why Germany Just Betrayed America, about this Russia-German deal that was made in secret. Uh, We will link to both the Trumpet Brief and Gerald Flurry's article in the show notes for the program today. Thanks so much for uh, talking with us about this, Richard. We appreciate it. Yeah, great to be here. This is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. Inflation is clearly a major problem in America right now, but it's not the biggest economic crisis facing the country, as we will now hear in this report from Andrew Miller. One in five Americans believe inflation is the top economic crisis facing the nation today. Yet as bad as this crisis is, the inflation rate will likely fall over the next several months as the Federal Reserve makes it more expensive to borrow money. But the debt the federal government has accrued by mailing out COVID-19 stimulus checks, welfare checks, Medicare checks, Medicaid checks, and Social Security checks will plague the nation for the foreseeable future. While sending out $804 billion to low- and middle-income households via three rounds of COVID-19 stimulus payments. The federal government spent all of its tax revenue on social welfare programs during the COVID-19 pandemic. Therefore, it had to borrow the money it used to fund the military, run the government, and pay the interest on the national debt. This borrowing increased the national debt by more than $6 trillion dollars. And debt has put America on a path to financial ruin and is the nation's real top economic threat. In addition to the $30 trillion national debt, the federal government has also made unfunded promises for Medicare and Social Security. It has promised $103 trillion more in future Medicare payments than it will be able to raise through taxation. 
and it has promised $60 trillion more in future Social Security payments than it will be able to raise through taxation. This means these mandatory entitlements will likely be consuming 80% of tax revenue in a decade, while the Medicare and Social Security funds are nearly bankrupt. The Biden administration has not addressed this crisis except to signal that Social Security beneficiaries will likely receive an 8.9% increase in their monthly checks this year. This increase is reasonable considering the current inflation rate, but will cost taxpayers billions. Bloomberg financial analyst Dave Merrill and Chloe Whitaker estimate that America needs millions of more taxpayers to keep the current social security system solvent. But to get these taxpayers, the nation either needs to double its birth rate or its immigration rate. Otherwise, America's 70 million social security beneficiaries may see their checks greatly reduced in the near future. Financial analysts used to estimate that the old age and survivors insurance trust fund would run dry in the year 2034. But the number of people who retired during the COVID-19 pandemic pushed that date up a year to 2033. Kristen Tate at The Hill wrote this regarding America's looming social security crisis. Make no mistake, this looming budget calamity will be a severe threat to our future at every level and for almost every household in the nation. Where are the news reports and opinion pieces like the one we see about climate change or the government darkness that threatens to kill democracy? Immediate reforms are necessary to prevent a financial fiasco that will mirror the European Union crisis a decade ago or the forerunning of the French Revolution. Now, for most of American history, people managed their own retirement accounts or relied on their children to take care of them in their old age. But ever since 1935, many Americans have turned this vital component of financial planning over to the federal government, and the results have been disastrous. The average American worker contributes over $3,000 to the Social Security Fund via payroll taxes each year, yet there is a possibility they will never see any of this money again because the government has mismanaged the accounts. America's $163 trillion in unfunded promises dwarfs even its $30 trillion national debt and truly could lead to a French Revolution-style insurrection when the 60% of Americans who receive more in government benefits than they pay in taxes wake up to the fact that those benefits may not be able to continue for much longer. Since taxpayers will ultimately be responsible for the $30 trillion national debt and the $163 trillion Social Security and Medicare unfunded liabilities, every man, woman, and child owes $572,000. So there's no way for them to pay off this huge sum of money while still saving for retirement and purchasing the necessities of life. The Bible tells us in Psalms 37 and verse 21 and Proverbs 13 and verse 22 that the wicked borrows and cannot pay back but a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Yet Americans are preparing to leave their grandchildren destitute with an enormous debt several times the size of their overall economy. This is why Nathaniel Blake at The Federalist noted, federal deficit spending is not like going into personal debt. 
It's like a grandma going on a binge with her grandchildren's credit cards. It's parents signing away their children's future for some government handouts now. It's wrong to place our children and our grandchildren under such enormous debt. Looking back through history, the Roman Empire fell when the state could no longer obtain sufficient resources through taxation and was to force to debase its own currency to raise revenue. The tax reforms of Diocletian were so draconian that many landowners were driven to bankruptcy as those living off welfare became more numerous than those paying taxes. Robert Adams summarizes this catastrophic history in his book, Decadent Societies, saying that by the 5th century AD, men were willing to abandon civilization itself in order to escape the fearful load of taxes. And so this is important history to consider when you read headlines like, you owe more than $500,000 and counting. America is going the way of Rome unless God intervenes to perform a miracle. And he will not do that until the nation repents of the materialism and other sins that brought them to the brink of this destruction. Thank you very much for that, Andrew. We have been talking, and many, many people have been talking, economists and uh, analysts have been talking about America's national debt for decades. And this is obviously something that has been has been building over quite some time, um, but it we're we're kind of in the age of the uh, the hockey stick, where the the graph is kind of uh, shooting up in unprecedented ways. Just in very recent years, COVID really blew it out of the water. I guess the the question is, uh, the warnings about the dangers of national debt have been around for a long time. What is it that really makes it different now? Right. And I mean, one of the things I, I just hinted at um, uh, slightly in there is the fact of that those Bloomberg economists saying that we either need to double the rate of birth or double the rate of immigration is that, that now obviously the debt's been growing since Andrew Jackson was president. He was the last one to actually have paid the whole thing down. Uh, but the idea is that it says, well, as long as our economy is growing at the same speed as our debt or our economy is growing faster than our debt, it doesn't matter because the debt to GDP ratio is the same. Uh, that hasn't really been true since the 80s where the jet debt to GDP ratio has also been going up. And one of the things is, is just a declining workforce. Um, right now, like I said, talked a lot about social security, how <laughs> social security works is, I don't know, I used to, when I first heard about it, I had this idea in my mind that there was like a big vault someplace where they put all the social security money while it collected interest and then they gave it back to you, which, which isn't true. The, the, mm. vaults, the vault's empty. They spent the money that your grandparents gave them a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And so the money you pay goes to <laughs> your grandparents uh, or, or, or other retirees. But the math is predicated on the fact that there's gonna be three working class people for every retiree which is true. I looked the numbers before I came in here. There were 160 million tax returns filed this year. There's 70 million people drawing social security, which mm -hmm. means there's about two working class people. And so to keep that, uh, to keep that three ratio, they're bringing the point is like either every woman between the age of 14 and 44, needs to have four babies at her earliest convenience, or we need to like bring in 44, 45 million more immigrants each year. Uh, to get the pyramid out where we actually have three working class people for every retiree. Uh, that doesn't look like it's going to happen, so that debt to GDP ratio is going up, and so the national debt is becoming a much uh, more salient threat than it was when they were warning about it in the 1930s and the average American had three or four kids. Mm -hmm. 
And the the fact that uh, we've been able to sustain this uh, this state of affairs for as long as we have, uh, a lot of this is because the United States currency has such uh, cachet in international markets, and there are a lot. There's a lot of international demand for dollars. There's a lot of investment into the United States, uh, but we have seen uh, quite a lot of of robust activity on the part of many nations that are actively trying to undermine that. Uh, and uh, the, then suddenly the national debt becomes a whole lot more of a liability. Right. And that that problem is separate from the Social Security problem, but related because um, obviously the, the interest rates you charge on Treasury bonds don't have anything to do with Social Security, but they do have a lot to do with that $30 trillion of national debt. Um, One of the only reasons we've been able to afford that $30 trillion is every year, it seems like we're able to negotiate a lower interest rate. But other nations um, can obviously see what America's promised its Medicare recipients, and they can see what it's promised its Social Security recipients, and it can see the debt it currently has. Uh, And and just a little basic arithmetic will will tell a financial planner in China that uh, America's long-term financial outlet uh, outlook is not solvent. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're going to have to know that like, all right, well, we, we are going to need uh, another reserve currency when the dollar collapses uh, because it isn't uh, a matter of if anymore. It's, it's, it's a matter of, of when. Uh, you'll see some of the more financial hawks say that uh, it'll collapse in two years. Uh, you see some of the more, the more liberal minds oh, say, well, maybe a couple decades, but it's definitely not a matter if it's a matter of when. So that is a big reason why you see uh, nations like Russia and China and India stockpiling up on gold and trying to do more bilateral trade in their own currencies, uh, even use euros uh, in some cases, even though the euro has its problems as well. Uh, and so taking prudent precautions to move away from the dollar, but then that is, <laughs> the problem is that eventually once they've got this whole new system figured out where they don't need the dollar as a reserve currency anymore, then there's no impetus for them to keep lowering those interest rates. Mm-hmm. And you could see, I think in the, right now our interest rates like two and a half percent, but it was, it was as high as seven or maybe even a little more than that in the seventies. So if you were to see those seventies levels come back, um, you'd have like a huge chunk of your budget taken up just on interest payments on the national debt, which would uh, which would be a problem. Because I mentioned here that they're saying like within the decade, they're saying that like that Social Security, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, and those other mandatory entitlements are going to be consuming 80% of tax revenue. Right. And the other 20% is going to be the interest on the money that you've borrowed for that. And so you'll you'll have basically a permanent situation like, like during the COVID pandemic, they spent all their money on the, so, the mandatory social entitlements and had to use military and discretionary spending completely deficit funded. Um, you'll start to see that within the next decade just being the status quo where mm. uh, you're collecting 20% of your gross domestic product uh, to pay your Medicare and social security promises. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interest rates on the debts spikes because there's no, uh, uh, because the dollar is not the reserve currency, so you, you're spending another 10 or so percent of your GDP on uh, the debt, and then another, if you spend, I don't know, another 10% or so on the stuff that we're doing for like military and stuff right now, I mean, you could see like, you could see payroll taxes taking half your income. Mm. 
Well, it is uh, it is lunacy. Uh, I think there, there's a strong case to be made for the fact that this is not accidental. It's kind of uh, along the lines of the point that we've made uh, about several of the other policies that you see coming out of Washington, where it's not incompetence. It's actually a deliberate effort to crash the system that exists as it is today. We've been talking with trumpet writer Andrew Miller about the dangers of America's gargantuan national debt. He's written an article, America's Biggest Economic Crisis. You can find that at thetrumpet.com. Thanks so much, Andrew. All right. Thanks for having me. It's time for today's Last Word. At least one-third of the Bible is prophecy. That's a lot of the Bible that God devoted to prophecy. And it shows you how important it is to God, how much importance he places on it. How important is it to you? A lot of people have a hard time understanding prophecy, and that's to be expected because it is something we can't just figure out on our own. God has to reveal understanding of prophecy. Second Peter 1.20 says, No prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. But because of that, a lot of people ignore it. And many people ridicule it. They say it's weird and extreme. So they throw out one third of the Bible as if it doesn't serve any purpose. But God clearly had many reasons for putting so much prophecy in the Bible and doing so much to preserve these prophecies for us right down to the present day. There's another reason why people are so resistant to prophecy, and that is that prophecy is unpleasant for the disobedient. Prophecy shows the end result of disobedience. There is a lot in prophecy that reveals exactly what God is going to do with the lawbreakers of this world and how God is going to bring justice to the evils of this world. Prophetic passages like Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 show the curses that come on nations and people who turn away from God. Herbert W. Armstrong taught a lot about Bible prophecy. But after he died in 1986, the church he founded turned away from that message. Now, here's something that they wrote. It's on their website now, this this church. They have an article about prophecy that says this. It is true that Jesus predicted a time of terrible tribulation, and it quotes Matthew 24 and verse 21. But most of what he predicted in Matthew 24 was fulfilled in the siege of Jerusalem, A.D. 70. Is a great tribulation predicted for the future? Many Christians believe so, and perhaps they are right. But many Christians throughout the world face persecution today. Many are killed. For each of them, the tribulation cannot get any worse than it already is. Terrible times have afflicted Christians for two millennia. Perhaps the Great Tribulation is a lot longer than many people think. Our Christian responsibilities are the same whether the tribulation is near or far or whether it has already begun. Speculation about the future does not help us to become more like Christ. And when it is used to pressure people into repentance, it is sadly misused. Speculation about the tribulation is not a good use of our time. Now, the truth is God gave that warning about the tribulation specifically to try to get people to repent while they can. Jesus Christ warned about the tribulation and they're really 
belittling what Jesus Christ said. The God of prophecy says in Ezekiel 33 and verse 11, say unto them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn you, turn you from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? The God of prophecy says in Isaiah 55 and verse 6, seek you the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God really does intend that prophecy to prod us so we can avoid those punishments. He intends that prophecy to prod us to become more righteous. We should be able to recognize the curses on Israel. We, we should be able to see those times of tribulation approaching. In Amos 6 and verse 8, it says, The Lord God has sworn by himself Says the eternal God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore, will I deliver up the city with all that is therein. And this is what our editor-in-chief, Gerald Flurry wrote in his booklet on Amos. Note that statement. What we esteem highly in our societies, God abhors. That is a strong statement. What Israel exalts, God hates. Might this be an area where we need to examine ourselves to see if we hate the same things God does? Ought not we pray for his view? That's a great question. God certainly is a God of love, but the Bible is also clear that there are things God hates, and we, we want to come to think like God. There are many things going on in the world today that God hates. There are even some things in our lives that he hates and that he wants us to change. Prophecy should motivate us to clean up our individual lives. Prophecy shows us where the wrong way of living leads to. It shows just how incomplete human beings are without God. Let me read a quote from our editor-in-chief called The Missing Dimension in Prophecy. He said, The dark prophecies are designed by God to teach us that we must have God's character. Man is dangerously incomplete. When you look in the Bible, you see how mankind rebelled against God and produced a very evil world. And it's because of that rebellion that there are so many dark prophecies in the Bible. It's God showing us the end results of the choices that we've made. Mr. Fleury continued in this article, When Jesus Christ came to this earth, mankind killed him, the Son of God. Christ's sacrifice was the greatest act of love ever seen on this earth. He fulfilled a black prophecy because of our evil. So think about that. God was able to prophesy about Christ's death because of the evil in man. He knew that that's what would happen. That is really worth meditating on. This article says further down, this is the problem of all mankind, and that attitude is why we face the black prophecies. We bring them upon ourselves and then often blame God. How true that is and what a tragedy it is. God is eager to fix this world. And prophecy shows that God is going to revolutionize this world and establish a new world. And it really should motivate us to do whatever we need to to be a part of that world. As it says in 2 Peter 3, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 
This is talking about a prophecy of what is going to happen to this earth ultimately. And when we see that it's all going to turn to ash, there's nothing worth getting excited about in this world. What manner of persons ought we to be? When we see how severely God is going to correct all the evil in this world, what kind of people should we be? When we see how God's hatred of that evil is reflected in his treatment of it, what sort of people should we be? Prophecy helps us to see. It helps us see more clearly how twisted this world really is. Not only do we get God's view, but prophecy also helps us to see everything in terms of how God is going to replace it and make it better. And that should motivate us to clean up our life today. That passage in 2 Peter 3 continues, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Peter wanted these prophecies to prod people toward righteousness. That's a marvelous purpose for biblical prophecy. And it's a great reason why it's important to make this a regular part of our Bible study. Joel Hilliker, and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour. You can send me any thoughts on the program today to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks to my guests, Richard Palmer and Andrew Miller. Thanks to Nick Irwin and Dwight Falk for engineering and production. I'll leave you with this thought from G.K. Chesterton. Chivalry is not the romantic, but the realistic view of the sexes. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world. Listening to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.